Part three, chapter seventeen of Quo Vadis, a tale of the time of Nero. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Quo Vadis by Henrik Sienkiewicz, translated by Benyon and Malevsky. Part three, chapter seventeen. For the last few nights, Vinitius had been away from home. Petronius surmised that he had made some new plan for liberating Lygia from the Esquiline prison, but he did not like to question him lest he might bring misfortune upon his efforts. The skeptical exquisite had become, in a certain sense, superstitious. From the time that he had failed to free the girl from the Mamertine prison, he ceased to trust in his own star. Moreover, he did not look for good results from the efforts of Vinitius. The Esquiline prison, which had been arranged hurriedly from the cellars of houses torn down to check the conflagration, was not, it is true, so terrible as the old Tullianum near the capital, but it was much better guarded. Petronius understood very well that Lygia had been transferred there so that she might not die, and thus escape the amphitheatre. It was clear to him, therefore, that they were now guarding her all the more watchfully. Evidently, he said to himself, Caesar and Tigellinus are reserving her for some special spectacle more horrible than the others, and Vinitius is more likely himself to perish than to rescue his loved one. Vinitius also had lost hope that he would be able to rescue Lygia. Christ alone could save her. The young tribune longed only to visit her in prison. It was in his mind that Nazarius had succeeded in entering the Mamertine prison, disguised as one of the servants, employed in removing the dead. He resolved to try this method also. The jailer of the putrid pits, whom he bribed with an immense sum of money, at length placed him on the list of those servants whom he sent every night to bear the corpses from the prison. The danger of discovery was slight. The night, the dress of a slave, and the meagre light in the prison were good allies. Who, besides, would surmise that a patrician, the grandson of one consul and the son of another, could be found among hirelings, exposed to the foul air of prisons and of the putrid pits, and that he would be engaged in work to which men were forced only by slavery or by the direst penury? When the longed-for evening came, he girded his loins gladly, bound a cloth soaked in turpentine about his head, and with a throbbing heart accompanied a crowd of others to the Esquiline. The Praetorian guards made no trouble, because all possessed the proper credentials, which the centurion scrutinized by the light of a lantern. After a time the great iron gates swung open, and they entered. Vinitius saw before him a vast vaulted cellar, through which they passed to a number of others. Dim lamps lighted the interiors, which were crowded with prisoners. Some of these were lying on the floor sunk in sleep, or perhaps dead. Others crowded around large vessels of water which stood in the middle of the vaults, and from which they drank as do people suffering from fever. Still others sat upon the floor, their elbows on their knees, and their heads upon the palms of their hands. Here and there children nestled close to their mothers, fast asleep. All about were heard groans, the loud breathing of the sick, sobs, whispered prayers, hymns in an undertone, and the curses of the jailers. The air of the dungeon was heavy with the odor of men and corpses. In its gloomy deeps crouched dark figures. Nearer to the flickering lights might be discerned pale faces, terrified, emaciated, cadaverous, their eyes dimmed or shining with fever, their lips blue, drops of perspiration oozing from their foreheads and their clammy hair. 
in far corners the sick moaned aloud some cried for waters others prayed for death yet this prison was not so horrible as the old tullianum at the ghastly sight the legs of vinitius trembled beneath him and breath almost failed him the thought that lygia was in the midst of this horror and misery raised the hair on his head he stifled a cry of despair the amphitheatre the tusks of wild beasts the cross anything was better than this horrible dungeon full of foul air from every corner of which rose plaintive human cries lead us to death vinitius dug his nails into his palms he felt that he was growing weak that his senses were leaving him all that he had suffered heretofore all his love and pain changed into one intense yearning for death just then the guardian of the putrid pits asked how many corpses have ye to-day about a dozen replied the jailer but by the morning there will be more because some are in their last agonies beside the walls he complained about the women that they concealed their dead children so as to keep them as long as possible and not to yield them to the pits the corpses he further complained were only discovered by their odor and this rendered the foul air still more baleful and poisonous i should rather be a slave in some rural prison he said than to watch these dogs rotting here alive the overseer of the pits consoled him saying that his own work was no easier by this time vinitius had regained his faculties and began to look around the prison but he sought for lygia in vain and feared that he might never see her alive again several cellars were connected by newly made passages the corpse-bearers entered only those from which dead bodies were to be removed vinitius feared lest all his pains might prove useless fortunately his patron aided him the bodies must be removed immediately said he for infection spreads mostly on account of the corpses if ye are not careful ye will yourselves die with the prisoners only ten men are allotted for all the cellars said the watchman and we must sleep i will leave four of my own men who will visit the cellars during the night and report all cases of death we will drink to thy health to-morrow if thou do that every corpse must be tested because we have an order to pierce the neck of each corpse and then to take it at once to the pits very well then but we must have our drink said the overseer he selected four men and among them vinitius the rest he took to load the corpses upon the biers vinitius drew a long breath he was now certain that he should be able to find lygia he started by examining the first dungeon and looked into all the dark nooks and examined the figures who slept beside the walls covered with rags he went among the most grievously ill who were placed in a special corner but he could not find lygia his search through the second and third dungeons was also without result meantime the night had advanced all the bodies had been carried out the jailers went to sleep in the corridors adjoining the dungeons the children weary of crying were silent in the vaults were heard only the breathing of troubled breasts and ever and anon the whisper of prayers vinitius carried his torch into the fourth dungeon which was much smaller and lifting the light he began to search through it suddenly he trembled for he seemed to see the gigantic figure of ursus close by a grating in the wall then putting out his light he approached and said is it thee ursus the giant turned his head who art thou dost thou not recognize me asked the young man thou didst put out the light how can i recognize thee 
Vinitius at that moment descried Lygia lying on a cloak near the wall, so without another word he knelt beside her. Ursus then recognized him and said, Glory be to Christ, but do not awaken her, master. Vinitius, kneeling, gazed at Lygia through his tears. Despite the darkness he could distinguish her face, pale as alabaster, and her emaciated arms. He was seized by an agony of love which penetrated his soul to the deepest depths and which at the same time was so full of compassion, reverence, and homage, that falling upon his face he pressed to his lips the hem of the cloak upon which rested the head so dear to him. Ursus regarded him for a long time in silence. Finally he tugged at his tunic. "'Master,' he asked, "'how didst thou enter here, and hast thou come to save her?' Vinitius rose, and for a time struggled with his emotions. "'Show me a way,' he said. "'I thought thou wouldst find it, master. I know of one way only.' Here he turned his eyes towards the grated opening in the wall, and then, as if in answer to himself, he said, "'Yes, but there are soldiers outside.' a hundred praetorians answered vinitius we cannot get by then no the lygian rubbed his forehead and asked again how didst thou enter here i have credentials from the overseer of the putrid pits suddenly he stopped as if a new thought had struck him by the passion of the saviour he said quickly i will remain here let her take my pass let her cover her head with a cloth and her shoulders with the mantle and pass out among the slaves engaged about here there are a few striplings the praetorians will not recognize her and if she goes to the house of petronius he will guard her the lygian dropped his head upon his breast and said she would not consent to this for she loves thee besides she is ill and cannot stand alone if thou o master and the noble petronius cannot save her from prison who can christ only then both were silent in his simple mind the lygian thought christ undoubtedly could save all of us but since he does not do it the hour of agony and death has evidently come for himself he bowed to the decree but he grieved for the dear child who had grown up in his arms and whom he loved above all things vinitius knelt again beside lygia the pale beams of the moon stole through the grating in the wall and gave better light than the solitary lamp which flickered over the entrance lygia opened her eyes and laying her hot hand on that of vinitius said i see thee i knew that thou wouldst come he took her hands lifted them to his heart then raising her somewhat he pressed her to his breast i have come my dear one he said may christ watch over and save thee o my beloved he could speak no more because of the pain which his love caused him, but he did not wish to betray his anguish. "'I am sick, Marcus,' said Lygia, "'and I must die, either here or in the arena. I have prayed to see thee before I die, and thou hast come. Christ has heard my prayer.' Unable to utter a word, Vinitius pressed her to his breast, and she continued, "'I saw thee from the window in the Tullianum, and I knew that thou didst desire to come.' and now the saviour has granted me a moment of consciousness so that we may say farewell i am going to him very soon but i love thee marcus and i shall love thee for ever by an effort vinitius controlled himself stifling his pain he spoke in a voice which he strove to make calm no dear one thou shalt not die the apostle commanded me to have faith and promised to pray for thee he knew christ christ loved him and will not refuse his request 
if it was ordained that thou shouldst die now peter would not have bid me to be confident but he said have confidence no lygia christ will have mercy he does not desire thy death he will not permit it i swear by the name of the saviour that peter prays for you silence followed the solitary lamp over the doorway went out but the moonlight streamed through the opening in a corner of the cellar a child cried and was silent again from the outside came the voices of praetorians who after their watches played at scripti duodecim under the wall oh marcus replied lygia christ himself cried to the father let this bitter chalice pass from me but still he drank it christ himself died on the cross and now thousands perish for his sake why should he spare me alone who am i marcus i heard peter say that he would also die on the cross and what am i compared to him when the praetorians came for us i was afraid of death and torture but i fear no more look how terrible is this prison but i am going to heaven think of it here is caesar but there is the saviour good and merciful with him there is no death thou lovest me think then how happy i shall be o marcus my loved one think that thou wilt follow me here she paused for breath and then raised his hand to her lips marcus what dear one do not weep for me and remember thou wilt follow me i have lived only a short while but god gave me thy soul i desire to tell christ that though i died and that though thou didst look upon my death and thou wert left in sorrow yet thou didst not blaspheme against his will and didst love him always wilt thou love him and suffer my death patiently for then he will unite us i love thee and i wish to be with thee for ever here again she paused for breath and in a scarcely audible voice she continued promise me this marcus vinitius embraced her with trembling arms and replied by that sacred head i promise her face grew radiant in the pale light of the moon and raising once more his hand to her lips she murmured i am thy wife beyond the wall the praetorians in the midst of their game roused a loud dispute but these two forgot the prison, the guards, the world, and feeling within themselves the souls of angels, they lifted up their hearts in prayer. End of Part 3, Chapter 17